Greetings, and welcome to episode 10 of the Heavy Metal Bebop Podcast, a series of conversations about jazz and metal. I'm your host, Hank Steamer. If you've been enjoying the podcast so far, or if you like what you hear on this one, please consider subscribing to the show in Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating or review there, spreading the word via social media, or even just telling a friend. I also want to mention that the podcast is now live in Spotify. Just search Heavy Metal Bebop there and you should find it. And as always, the show is available at heavymetalbebop.podbean.com. That's heavymetalbebop.podbean.com or via the Podbean app. So in an earlier episode of this podcast, drummer Kenny Grahowski spoke about the unique swing of metal. In this episode, we delve into the root of that idea via a conversation with one of my musical heroes, Black Sabbath drummer Bill Ward. I met up with Bill in Los Angeles in early November for an unforgettable conversation, during which he discussed why he views Gene Krupa as his definitive influence, how the behind-the-beat feel he perfected in the band's early days enhanced the sinister quality of their music, why he's just as inspired by death metal drummers as he was by his early heroes, and much more. Before we begin, just a quick minor note. At one point about halfway through, we discussed Snowblind, one of my very favorite Sabbath tracks, and Bill asked if I could sing the up-tempo riff heard in the later part of the song to jog his memory. What I actually sang was a riff from the track Cornucopia off the same album, Volume 4. This ended up having very little impact on the conversation, but I just wanted to clarify that for any Sabbath fanatics who might be listening. All right, let's get into it. You'll hear a bit of the track Wicked World from Black Sabbath's self-titled 1970 debut. And after that, my conversation with Bill Ward. So uh, yeah, yeah. Well, well, yeah. Th- thanks so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. Oh no, it's 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 fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we're going to be talking about some jazz today. That's what I'm. That's what I'm hoping to do. Oh, great. That's yeah, what I'm hoping was, to do. But it was a pleasure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, you know, I've heard um, so much about you know your early background in music that the jazz was just sort of on in the house, big bands and things like that. I, I would love it if you could just sort of describe the kinds of music you were hearing and and you know your early memories of hearing jazz. Uh, the early memories of hearing jazz were um, were from uh, our, our record player at the time, um, my mother and father's record player, and that would be in uh, 1952. I was born in 48, and I realized there was music by the time I was three or four years old, and the music that we listened to was all it, all of it at that point was uh, all American. It was all American uh, big band jazz. Uh, there were British programs, but the British programs um, about me being too analytical and too discarding of the of the jazz was played somewhat differently. 
and there was something about American jazz that had a lot more uh, overture to it. It had um, a lot more space, and when it when it hit you, it really hit you. And there was, there was, I, I couldn't. I, I was so taken aback by that, and I was drawn into that. So I didn't know at the time that I was listening to Gene Krupa, who later became my mentor. Gene is just every. I think everything that I've ever played or uh, somehow trickled down from Gene Krupa and then uh, and then I didn't know I was listening to Benny Goodman and, and Camp Basie and all these other incredible big bands uh, from the United States and uh, so that those were the th- those were the things that I was listening to and I was just drawn into them they, they bought they brought me into the songs and I, there was something about it all that was just um it was just I don't know I I'm trying to it was so hypnotic. And so so your your parents were were serious jazz fans would you say? Um no my my, my parents um I, they uh they they love music. Um but uh we picked up a lot of American big band jazz records because during the war World War 2 uh vinyl records were available uh, a lot of the GIs that had already been in England during World War II had left a lot of things in England including uh, a lot of vinyl records um, there was uh, you know America, you know, the United States Army United States Air Force brought jazz with them to uh, the Marine Corps brought jazz with them to England but they brought American jazz with them to England. That was during the war. That was in in the uh, mid mid nineteen forties, forty I think forty two forty three I think when all that was happening. So so when did you you said when you were first hearing you didn't necessarily know who you were hearing what drummers you you were listening to it was really just mm-hmm. the sound of it that was attractive like when did you first you know develop this consciousness of like oh that's Gene Krupa and mm-hmm. I'm gravitating towards that sound right. I began to I began to recognise Gene because there were certain techniques that he did, the way that he would um, the way the way that he would put the stick across the snare drum mm-hmm. and it had a certain tone to it, as opposed to say Buddy, and that stick tone sounded a little bit different, and I was able to recognise the difference. Yeah, different drummers had different feels, and um, and I began to realized that I could uh, tell somewhat not very art- not very much but I could tell somewhat that that was so and so and that was so and so playing and I was able to recognize their signatures and their way that they played but he played tight you know uh there was drummers at that time that played um that played uh very tight uh the the way that they would um, spend a lot of time on the snare drum, other drummers would spend a lot of time putting in particular bass drum beats that were very hard for me to understand. And then Gene was very wide. He played very, very loose, very wide. At least that's how he appeared to me. And then he tightened up things sometimes if he was going to play a snare solo. Um so all those things left a huge, a huge impression. Was 
was like because okay so there was music going on in your house i would rather sort of like jam sessions happening like yeah yeah we had we had music all we had music all the time uh my mom played the piano a little bit my dad sang and so you know we we would have every weekend there would be a, a lot of music and a lot of parties um and everybody was everybody would dance to American music, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, rock rock and roll was just around the corner, but it hasn't quite arrived yet. You know, it is, it has arrived in the form of the Ink Spots and the Platters and and great bands like that, but um, the rock and roll that we knew and identified were, were you know originating with Carl Perkins and Elvis Presley and Little Richard that hadn't arrived yet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so it's interesting because, like, you're saying this is around the early 50s and, and it was big band stuff, which is maybe more like, you know, music from, say, the, the 40s or something. So was bebop around there? Do you remember hearing stuff like well, Charlie? Be- bebop happened on the top of nine, about 1948 mm-hmm. uh, and Gene was putting that that little skip on the cymbals. Yes. And but up, but up, but up, you know, and then suddenly it was, it wasn't that, that those, those little but ups weren't far from what we know as rock and roll. Uh huh. Uh huh. It was just just around the corner, and uh, you can actually hear some of that. I think. Um, oh, you're making me work this morning. Um, you could hear some of that in, uh, I think, in Pla- Platter's music and uh, Andrew's sisters. You could hear that, uh, but up. And uh, which does, which is not far from, but I do, 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 right? That's where it re- really is. It's like, but a there you go, and that's rock and roll, right? Right, right. So, you know, we were only uh, six or seven months from, <laughs> from those things, sure, sure. Um, like. You know, when when you would have been first sitting down at the drums, I think I read there was like a family friend who would who would leave his drums there like on yes. one night, and then it, and they'd be there the next morning, and you could go play them. Like yes. when you would have been sitting down those at those early times, like mm-hmm. you know, who were you? Were, were you trying to play like Gene Krupa type stuff, like like swing type of stuff, or what would you have been doing when you've been sitting I, down at the drums? Most of the time, I <clears throat> I like to touch everything because mm-hmm. I'd never we you know I never seen a kit of drums, so seeing the drums. When I came downstairs every Sunday morning, when everybody else was kind of sleeping it off, um, I was I was just a child. I'm only like four or five years old, so the brushes to me were like, you know, just something that was so alien. And uh, and I learned to I press the hi hat. You know, I'm just a little guy pressing the hi hat, and to me it was. All these sounds, and to me, that was just the most. It was like a discovery. It was like going into Aladdin's cave, and it was um, it was just this marvelous experience. So, just the experience of touching the drums, and look at how the rims shined, and uh, look at looking the the colors. You know, I believe the the drum. I think the, now I'm now I'm going into this. I think. The drum was maybe a blue pearl or something. Or I'm not sure, but um, so I I couldn't emulate anybody because I didn't even know what a stick was. You know, so coming back to your your question, I so I but I would try to 
you know, just tap them lightly. I didn't want to wake my mum up or my father up. And I would tap them just lightly. And uh, there was something about that that belonged to me. Uh, and it still belongs to me today. And, and when I die, I'll die with that. The, because he, he just, I was just born into that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when I touched it, it felt completely normal, completely natural, and completely like, oh, this, this is something that, you know, all I have to do is travel on this path and it'll show me what it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So... And when when did it get to the point where you know you felt like you know you 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 could you you were able to do something on the instrument you know probably when I was about five or six mm-hmm. you know um, we weren't far from rock and roll then um, but I would try to play uh, like the backbeat for the, uh, the twilight time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know um, I tried to play uh, sing sing. Um, that was one of the easier ones for me to try and play um, because of um, Gene's just wide open floor toms. That yes. was just so, so nice. So it, was, it, it certainly wasn't easy to emulate, but um, I had a, my version of what I thought was Sing Sing and I was playing, playing tom-toms uh, and uh, that, was the, that was like the easiest grappling hook that I could that I could hold on to. Um, the fact that when he went back, when he went after, after he went from the floor times up to the, up to the crash ride and started mm. riding, that came a little bit later. Mm-hmm. That, that was something I had to try. Maybe, maybe when I was eight or nine years old, I was, you know, having to try that. And I've been trying it for the rest of my yeah, life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so would you actually put the record on and play? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we'd play play the records and listen to the songs and oh yeah, yeah. Oddly enough, something else that might be important to our listeners is that um, I was drawn by the uh, New Orleans marching bands and especially the funeral bands um, because they are so syncopated um, that I was drawn into the. Um, into the uh, the rhythm. At first, I didn't understand the rhythm of what the bands were playing, but they have this wonderful uh, stop, bop, 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 stop, bop, bop, and it was just like, oh mate, what 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 is that? But there's something about it that pulled me right in there, and uh, that paid off, and showed up in my drumming years later, years later. And I'm st- and I still listen to the funeral bands, mm. you know. If I if I'm just taking time out or doing recreation or whatever, I'll put on a on a funeral band, a New Orleans funeral band, because they have so much, uh, there's so much intellectual freedom in in what they're doing, mm. and it's just it's just wonderful. It's a, a be- beautiful way to, way to play jazz. Mm. Yeah, so it's it's kind of it, like you know it's it's tough as a listener to kind of get a hold of like you know where you were at musically before say around sixty eight or something because you know when the first kind of recordings start oh, to, yeah, start right. to show up like like there's um like I believe there was this this early band with Tony that was was it called the Rest was yeah. was was, it, was that the first like serious band yeah that the Rest was the first serious band 
but we were wrong. Um, I think I met Tony when I was 15 and a half or 16, I'm mm. not sure. But we formed the band The Rest, which was me, Mike Pountney and Vic Radford at Slade Road School uh, in Erdington, Birmingham. But yeah, then, yeah, we we needed a lead guitar player and uh, we we went and asked Tony to mm. do an audition. <laughs> <laughs> it was insane, man, <laughs> asking Tony to play an audition. And, of course, you know what? And he, was, he was so gracious, or he was being you, he was humoring us or what. But um, he came in, he found a strat man right there, bam, and he nailed everything. We asked if he could play, like, Johnny Be Good mm. or, mm. you know, or 12 bars, and he just... I'm, I'm like looking, going, "Oh my god!" And perhaps we asked the wrong questions. He <laughs> <laughs> was obviously way above the pay grade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so you already had this kind of body of of songs that you like, you know that you were wanting to play or that you were playing with this band. Yeah, we were doing. Um, well, we do to to actually do gigs. You, you back then you had to play what was popular. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we would just um, emulate whatever was popular. You know, but we tried to put in a few of our own little things which weren't so popular. So I think probably every band, including the rest, in 1964, I guess, 64, I think it was, 64, or 63, uh, we were, were, you know, we tried to throw in what the closest thing we could to a blues song, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, so it was like that. Were you hearing a lot of American blues on record as well? Like in addition to the big band stuff, like did you hear, um, I don't know, anything, you know, no, like, yeah. like Muddy Waters or something? Ooh, were, were those records boy, oh around? Oh boy, yeah. Oh boy, oh boy, yeah. Yeah, when I first heard Howling Wolf, I mm. was gone, man. Presley Presley blew me away with Jailhouse Rock and, and uh, Heartbreak Hotel. But when I heard uh, Howling Wolf, Spoon, spoonful, especially Spoonful, and they heard how he sang that and how he, all his guitar sounded and just, I was just blown away. There was just something in there that was just like the very, very heart of, of my heart. Oh, blues players, American blues players were just like, yeah, yeah, I got, I just got pulled right into it. Well, yeah, and it's yeah. interesting because like some of the first recordings that we can hear of you, like you know, I found there's some there's some recordings of the band Mythology, which I guess the, the rest led into Mythology, I believe. Yes, yeah. and and some of those early recordings of Mythology, like it sounds to me a lot like it's working from like kind of a template of maybe what Cream was doing, like taking this kind of mm-hmm. like repertoire of like heavy heavy blues. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah. W- was Cream like a big breakthrough? I think so, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Cream was a in England, Cream Cream was brilliant, and everywhere else they were brilliant. But uh, yes, they were. I, I'd like to, before we go to Cream, I'd like to, I have to mention the Yardbirds mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because the Yardbirds were really, I thought they were playing very authentically and um, just playing so well. And of course, they had three great lead guitar players Absolutely. come through that band. So, so yes, all those things, I think, influenced us. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a plethora of music to listen to from uh, Long John Baldry and just every, just Graham Bond, everybody that was 
back then in the early 60s that were that was making music and not forgetting our northern friends either who were absolutely destroying everything with um with a, a new way of making music and that was the beatles mm, mm. in 1963 yeah and, and i imagine like ginger baker you know with his very obvious like you know jazz you know, roots yeah. and kind of, you know, he was always very vocal about that being an influence. I mean, was was he very mm-hmm. striking at that yeah. time? Yeah. 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 I mean, Ginger was, you know, um, when I, I mean, I just listened to Cream and just as, as, as them all. And then uh, I would get sucked into Ginger's uh, uh, solos. But I love the way that he used his, his bass drums, his, the way that he threw them around and, it kind of reminded me a little bit of um, how Krupa would put that in. Um, the drummer, I've forgotten his name now, um, uh, the drummer uh, who played with um, played with uh, Little Richard mm. would have a tendency to throw that bass drum around as well. And some of his things on Good Golly Miss Molly, mm, mm. he's just like, oh boy, what that guy was doing was just unbelievable, mm. I thought. So, yeah. You know, so, no. you you were really studying this stuff, picking picking out the little flourishes from each of these places. Yeah. Yeah. I was just, I, I, it's almost like I just, I just, it just turned me on. Mm. It turned me on. That's what it did. It turned me on. And I just lit up and I, and my hear, my everything went on, and my earring just was like I'm 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 eating all that stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I just love the sound. Um, you know, it seems like there's this very, like, pivotal phase with you know. So we have like mythology going into Earth, you know. Then this very like pivotal phase, I believe it's at like Star Star Club, like the the residency that you were doing, like when when mm-hmm. you know you were playing these kind of long jams that in my understanding then started to turn into the first original material. Yeah. Is is that correct? Yeah. 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 Um, and, yeah. and, and so like, what do you remember about this period where, you know, so, so you, you're essentially like, you know, a cover band, right. The, then, and mm-hmm. then, and then at a certain point, you know, the original start to come in. Like, what do you, what do you remember about, you know, that band finding its sort of voice as a, as a, as a, a band who was writing its own material? I, I, um, well, first of all, going going to the Star Club or going to Germany, and going to Denmark and Switzerland in in uh, sixty eight sixty nine was remarkable. I, I thought that that was a remarkable adventure, and I felt like we were all on an adventure. Um, I also felt like we had to face a lot of adversity, but the union of the band and the the priority of the band was to get better and play better and try to become whoever we might be. So the fact that we weren't eating that much food or living properly or anything else really didn't matter. We were, we were right. still we were really young men. Right. So um, uh, I think it's also okay to say that when we were playing the Star Club, we were we were playing. Uh, blues uh, music and we were playing uh, a couple of popular things it wasn't quite the same as what we'd done in in the rest we were also in uh, another band that we didn't mention which was the Method 5 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the Polka Talk Blues Band right okay 
Polka Talk actually changed a couple of things around because we really did go into some blues. We had a sax player. So that's like pre-Earth? Yeah, it's pre-Earth. Right, yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah. And um, we had a sax player. We had uh, Jim Phillips played slide guitar. So we really did go that way to to bring that out. But um, so I, I need to mention that it's, it's part of, part of uh, the history of, of us. Um, um, jamming was the big thing for us mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and our music was created through jamming so that's how things started to evolve mm -hmm. um, and um, we played we started to play with a lot of uh, really great bands English bands that were breaking and we were playing, we were always the warm-up band or the band in the middle or something. So, um, uh, I think one of the changing points is when Tony was asked to join Jethro Tull. Right, exactly. Yeah. Which was during the Hamburg days, but also this happened in Birmingham as well. And um, when Tony came back after a week, he uh, said, we, we have to do more, we have to change, we've really got to do a lot more. And we started doing early morning rehearsals in, at the Aston Community Centre. Um, and uh, that's when we sat down and jammed and we all kind of looked at each other and we just jammed and jammed and jammed. And uh, Tony would come up with a lick, but we were, we were playing all the time. We were so tight that um, we almost knew what everybody else was going to do. And so it just it just happened. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that uh, we didn't put in some hard work, especially Tony, but uh, that's how those things come about. Everybody seemed to know what they had to do. And the first song that we wrote, we wrote it at Tony's house. It was called Wicked World. Mm, mm, mm. That was the first song we ever wrote. And uh, then I, I believe the next song we wrote was um, Black Sabbath. We wrote that at the Aston Community Centre. Well, those two songs, like, it's really interesting because those two songs show, you know, these very different facets of the whole mm -hmm. thing because, yeah. I mean, Wicked World, it, it means it's it's fascinating because you put that on and, you know, what you're playing at the beginning, it's just a, it's a swing. It's you a know, swing, yeah. Straight swing pattern. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. And, 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 you know, so, so I don't know, it, it's just like, you can, you can just hear that, you know, that you, you were coming right out of jazz on that track. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. J jazz and pop, you know, I mean, we were yeah. playing straight pop, straight pop. And, uh, one of the things that we, we learned to do in Black Sabbath and so did other bands. And I'm just going to use, uh, as an example, I'm just going to use Taste, the band Taste, mm -hmm. as an example of Dynamics. And we used Dynamics, and so did a lot of other bands. Zeppelin used Dynamics. A lot of bands used Dynamics. And so um, when we would do things like, uh, for instance, Black Sabbath, the volume from this very quiet beginning right. to the actual volume and rage that was behind those louder chords, all the band went into the same force of energy. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's using dynamics mm -hmm. so we're coming from that into this huge crescendoing you know sound which when we could afford getting a couple of more amps later 
turned into a colossally loud and violent sound. Yep, yep. which is what which we which is what we all loved. Uh-huh. We we loved that. I mean, that was just like what what the fuck? It's brilliant, you know. Well, well, it's interesting because, like, you know, you you can take Wicked World and maybe you can, you know, trace the kind of pattern you're playing there to, like, you know, like we were saying to the earlier music. Yeah. But something like, something like Black Sabbath, the, the song, um, that's to me, you know, it seems to me like, you know, where the band kind of finds its sound, and then like where, you know, you're you're playing things there that I don't necessarily know what the kind of precedent was. It seems like you're finding, you know, what, you know, how how you you sounded in a way on a track like that. Is is that? I I I. I was beginning to realize that I play uh, orchestrationally. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I've never regarded myself since I found out I play orchestrationally. I've never regarded myself as a drummer. In fact, I have a lot of t- uh, problems uh, keeping time and being a drummer. I'm not sure what that's supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. However, playing orchestrationally, I paint in pictures, so I follow anything. Uh, if Ozzy says a couple of words or a melody, I'll play to his melody. I'm, I. That's where my heart is inside that kind of structure, mm. and I do that with Geezer. If Geezer just plays one bass note, I can I can structure all around him. All he has to do is you go boom, and I can I can move a ton of stuff around him mm-hmm. if he ever does that, you know. Well, right, yeah. The part in the in the verse is very like call and response. Like, there's a line, then you're kind of doing the tom the tom stuff, mm-hmm. and kind of answering it. Yeah, it's very reflective of Ozzy's vocals. Yeah, and and like you know the the w- that track, you know, since you're talking about that kind of like violent crescendo in that song, like when when it kicks in, you know, you've got this kind of like extremely like behind the beat feel mm-hmm. yes. that really, to me, I, I'm also a drummer. Like to me, you know that seems to define like sort of the rhythmic language of the band this extremely like you know it's almost like you're dragging the beats out as long as they could be dragged out before yeah. they have to kick in like yeah. where does uh that that super because you can you can trace that to kind of a swing idea yeah, it's too def- it's definitely swing so so but but where does that come from playing those super slow tempos at this kind of like very behind the beat thing like it, wh- it felt natural to do that yeah and and it, all, all I'm playing is just a you know, I'm playing jazz, right? Black the song Black Sabbath. It's just a that's what it is there. I mean, I'm moving some other things around, but uh, that that is that is forever in there, and it's in it's in um, it's in uh, balance with my hi hat. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And, and my hi hat is actually playing. Uh, in what Tony's playing on his with his uh, right foot, uh-huh. so Tony is swinging and going back and forth, and I'm watching his right foot, and my hat is exactly where his right foot is, uh-huh. and so it's like, you know, I I don't know anything about uh, oh what would fit here as a drummer or anything else, I I, I totally go into where we are musically. And look at what the music is telling me, and and I and I add all the dressing and put the curtains up to where, mm. whatever they've got to do. Mm. That's how my head. That's how my head is, you know. Mm. Oh, a little odd. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 interesting because you're you're talking about like you know these patterns being like you know kind of a like a swing ride pattern or something maybe just like translated to that idiom and like you know you can hear. 
I don't know. I just have all these examples here, like you know, like on on War Pigs, for example. Like you mm-hmm. know, at the beginning when it kicks in, it's like dang, ding, 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 ding. like yeah. you know, the the right hand is always kind of like <clears throat> yeah. playing that that yeah. language. It seems yeah. like yeah, that's actually waltz time on, in in War Pigs, right? If we, if everybody wants to be correct about it, um, but uh, but we move it. We do we do a lot of rock stuff. Uh, I mean, the, that that's all over the place. That song. I mean, we we put. There's so many different rhythms in there and touches and things like that. And over the years, I've been working on that song. And uh, by the time we reached 2005, I was playing uh, so many different parts to it. And you know, I, I, that's the I, one of the th- one of the things about me is I I'm still working on the songs. Sure. <laughs> so um, so in 2005, which was the last time. That I I played War Pigs. Um, uh, I thought I I thought I was doing uh, some really 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 nice things mm, mm. and really driving it. You know, sounded pretty good to me. Yeah, and that and that and that hi hat part is so interesting. Like you know, kind of like on the break on the verses, mm-hmm. like like that little. Um, like, d- 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 yeah. d- d- like, like to me, that little like offbeat hi hat thing, like yeah. that seems to me kind of like a, almost like what a swing drummer would do with a hi hat. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it is. It is. You're right. Yeah, 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 <laughs> um, yeah. And, I, and like, like I, I feel like there's that stuff all over. That stuff, like, um, I think you do it on Hand of Doom as well. Like, sort of coming out of the mm. chorus into the thing. There's like that little like hi hat choke or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't remember. Don't recall that exactly. But I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's just interesting yeah. that this this swing language is so, you know, mm. you, it's just right there in that music. I, it, it's lovely that you're talking about this. I, I get a kick out of it. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, were, were there were, were were there were those little hi hat things like something that you would you would just be like you'd hear Krupa do something like that and you'd want to kind of like lift one of those out and like kind of you know take that mm-hmm. little technique into your playing? Yeah, in 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 Hand of Doom, I I just wanted to do a. From a closed hat to open it up, and you know, just put things in there to move it around. It, it, the idea is to move the song along mm. and uh, and add add things that didn't do not distract the vocals, do not distract the bass, and do not distract the drumming. Uh, sorry, the the guitar. Mm. So the idea is to actually play in the band, play mm. to play drums. Absolutely. Yeah, and like you know, that song too. Uh, sorry, that song too. Like I, I was gonna ask, I was gonna mention um, "Behind the Wall of Sleep" too, but like specifically "Hand of Doom." Like, like the um, the verse part is has such a sort of a funky quality to it. Yeah, and like I, I'm wondering, you know, were there drummers by that time that you were listening to, kind of like in in that idiom? Like, you know, how, how did you kind of master that feel to make it sound so smooth and have such a groove to it? Um, I don't know, but I. I, I Alongside me, nearly every day, I was in contact with at least 10 or 12 other drummers, mm. either in Birmingham or people that I was listening to that mm. I admired and loved. Um, you know, I, I I think at that point I'd stopped listening to Caravan by Buddy Rich. Okay. But I'd listened to Caravan over and over and over. I bought, I, in fact, I wore the... The vinyl out now to get another record, uh, but it's 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 stuff like that. Um, some of the guys that I was running with or running alongside of were people like Capaldi, Jim Capaldi, um, uh, uh, 
Pete York from the Spencer Davis group. Um, um, oh, Mick Kelly from uh, Spooky Tooth. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of guys um, that I was running alongside of, and they, you know, and and also Kai nearly forgot it. Nearly forgot to mention uh, John and uh, John Bonham. You know, they all these guys played funny bass drums. And uh, and what they were doing was they were playing bass drums so good that they were playing the other beats as well. The, the, the these were the silent notes, and this this was the beginning of silent notes. And you know, it's exactly where all the all the good guys back in the forties were had already played um, those notes, mm. and now it was reemerging in rock and roll. Mm, mm. You know, a great example is listen to. Just about any Led Zeppelin song, and you'll hear you'll hear all that, you know. And Bonham was absolutely the the, the master, mm. as far as I'm concerned. But there were so many other good people: eh? Mick Evans, jazz drummer, BBC Light Orchestra. Um, every day I was with these guys um, uh, when we were at home, when we were writing. So I'm talking to them like all the time, and I'm surrounded by them, you know. When when I when I would get together with Mick Mick Evans, he'd be say, "Oh oh oh, you got to listen to Ed Thigpen, Ed Thigpen, Ed Thigpen," and he and he would talk for hours about Ed's uh, high art work, you know, and we'd do things like that. So I'm hanging out with people that are. That was where. So if some of that stuck on me, it's no no wonder some of it stuck on me. Mm, mm. I used to sit behind uh, Jim Capaldi. And it was in a band called Deep Feeling. So that's say Jim was sitting on that chair right there. I'd be sitting there with that three feet and I'd be just watching and look, watching Jim play his chops, man. You know, I'm, I'm looking and, you know, I'm just like... Mm. Looking at all these different things, trying to learn, trying to learn something, trying to figure some things out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Was, was John a big jazz... Listen. Oh, he could play jazz like a like a MF. Yeah, yeah. But but he played a backbeat. Uh huh. He kept it simple. He was keeping it simple. Mm. He played a backbeat, and what he could do with his feet was was nobody's business. Sometimes he'd play on, on one of my kits, which had a double bass drum, and I can't believe what he did with two bass drums. I have I have a, a number of friends today who play two bass drums unbelievably well. And um, I often think sometimes if he, if John was still alive, what he would have done with two bass drums yeah. now. Uh, he was so, yeah, he's just, he would, he would uh, come in and, uh, and play too, but he'd play, play my drum kit. And I'd just look there and I'd just go, oh, my God, this guy's just incredible. Mm, you know? mm. He said, oh, he needed to play them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he needed to... Do that, um, yeah. He could, no, he, he understood jazz. I, I think a perfect example of great cymbal work with with John Bonham is uh, in Stairway to Heaven. Dum 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 boom 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 boom, and everything he's playing right there has been learnt from the masters who mm. came before us. It's just in it's absolutely spot on and absolutely perfect. Um, 
just, just like sort of going back to this, um, that, that kind of like behind the beat feeling we were talking about. Like, I, I think yeah. I read something about like Iron Man in particular that like, you know, you, the, I think you said like you found the lyrics really sad or something like that. Mm. And, and, the, and the, mm. like, I guess I'm wondering, and you know, you're talking about playing like orchestrationally. It seems like, you know, the emotional content of the song is like very important and like coming up with the parts. Like, what do you remember mm. about, I mean, Iron Man to me, you know, that, that's, that's obviously like a, a very, you know, definitive track again, in terms of like your feel and in terms of the way that you would play, you know, that, that kind of backbeat thing really sitting back in the music. Mm-hmm. Like, like, you know, what do you remember about like that riff and like figuring out, you know, how to respond to that riff? One of the things about sitting back is it creates a wider picture. So it gives you more depth and it gives the impression of um, being louder. When you, when you tend to pull back um it it tends to give it more more volume at least it did for me it made it more um draggy or or more solemn there's something about it it has a characteristic or all unto itself and um and i love to do things that were would would pull back a little bit or play behind, it's it's um, it's a way of you know the guys could detune, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they did. That would be a way of them creating more volume and more dark. And when with drums to create that, you can you can just uh, pull back a little bit and have uh, almost like uh, it's almost like uh, trying to have have a, an idea about what you think is morbid. And then play morbidity, then create morbidity with your drums. Mm. Um, so I played a lot of toms, as you know, and uh, but that was one of the things that I did. Um, uh, Iron Man, uh, yeah, Iron Man. Uh, I felt was a very sad song, so um, it felt like the right. I felt like the right thing to do. I played really simple full of toms uh, full of dark darkness just full of, full of uh yeah something that is uh, morbid or or uh, defeated or mm. so i tried to play that and i don't know if i was able to get that or not oh i would i would i think i think you succeeded <laughs> yeah i think you basically uh, founded an entire genre that would agree that you succeeded um well yeah because it's interesting though because you know there is that kind of behind the beat feel like you said this morbid feel to some of the slower songs but so many of the songs have these tempo changes yeah you know and then there yeah. will be like a you know like i'm thinking about something like um maybe snowblind or something where you know this uh, some yeah. of these songs like the second half is like a fast yeah. thing electric yeah. funeral yeah, is another sure. one and like it seems like when you would play the uptempo stuff, you would find ways where it wasn't just a backbeat. You were kind of having like a more like dancing, like yes. kind of jazzy yeah. feel on something like that. Yes, definitely. Like, so talk about those kind of uptempo yeah. moments. The um, electric funeral's fantastic. I, I love the song. Um, yeah, it, it, I wanted to add more gaiety. Yeah, because the the song is uh, is <laughs> electric funeral is to me was pretty morbid. <clears throat> but the morbidity now was coming from the notes or coming from Terry's bass or coming from 
Aussies um, vocal perhaps. So sometimes I'll throw things in that remind me of um, of uh, producing as much energy as I possibly can so that it'll go straight into your heart. And, um, and I'd like to put little things in that will that will uh, that I that I that I think will create even more highlights to to um, to the to what the guitars mm-hmm, are playing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, um, there's lots of there's lot, I'm a big Halloween fan, so I <clears throat> you know I can imagine um, you know all all my drumming is imagination. You mm-hmm, know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it just seemed like that would be the the thing to do is just to fill up, fill up all those things. Sometimes um, when Terry would have to play a bass part, he would have that. That's where he would have to be. He would have to stay there. Yeah, because he's he's like running the show right there. So that leaves me free to move around. You know, that's another thing that we did. If Terry's playing busy, I play simple. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If he's playing uh, wide, I have a lot of room. And we always used to do exchanges like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so we, we give each other a lot of space to work in. Um, hmm. I'm trying to think. I'm still stuck in Electric Funeral. What was the other song that you mentioned? I think I mentioned Snowblind, you know, being as yeah. another one that that has kind of that a second half which increases in tempo, and but when you're playing this very interesting pattern, that's not necessarily just like a, it's never just a backbeat. There's always a lot of like you know interesting like jazzy sort of cymbal mm-hmm. stuff going on. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to recall it. Can you recall it? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, Is it down, 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 oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, I like that beat. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I was just pushing that against Tony. Yeah, I needed something to push against him. Um, I think what he was, I think what Tony was doing, he, he, he kind of he had he had it halfway there, but uh, again, with guitar, you're going, you're going to be able to do. So much sometimes with a certain thing, mm, mm. and um, so I, I try to push push alongside where I, where I with what I thought he was doing, and uh, it's almost like it's almost gave an offbeat, like an offbeat feel, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I try to really reinforce what everybody what everybody else is is doing or is accomplishing. I think that's what a drummer's job is. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't play backbeat in Black Sabbath. Mm. You can't just play, but, but, you know, whatever the fuck a backbeat is. Mm. You can't, it's, you can if you want to, but it's going to ruin the song. Well, it's interesting because, like, at the very select moments in which you do, like, say something like Fairies Wear Boots, where it's like, dun, 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 you know what I'm talking about? Like, like, yeah. like, but all the rest of that song, it's so, you know, kind of dancing and, like, it has, you know, it has such a, fluid feel and so when you do really hit on it 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 for that one moment it really kind of drives that home do you know what i mean mm-hmm. the contrast mm-hmm. of it yeah 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 um it feels like the right place to go that, that's i think that's that's all i knew it felt like the right place to go right 
Um, this, this, I guess I'm wondering like this whole quality of sort of swing and like, you know, like kind of a behind the beat feeling and all this, like things that people have attributed so much to Sabbath, like in later years, like, was that something that you as a band would talk about? Like that feeling of swing and that feeling of like, you know, oh, we're playing this beat too, too straight. We got to like, no, we never did. Never that. spoke about it. No, we would never intellectualize. Yeah. Oh no, no, no. We would all go in together and 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 I, I would re, I would respond to whatever any three of them would do. Um, I, I, you know, sometimes I, w- I would have something and they would respond to me. You know, but that was a, that was kind of like a rarity. Mm. Um, when we did when we did air dance, mm. um, it's it's completely natural for me to play all the plays. Is yep. Don yep. Airy when Don went on those keyboards at the very end. Uh-huh. I'm all over the place with the cymbals. I mean, I had an absolute blast, and I was so happy that Tony had gone into that. You know, I I was so happy for that we were going into something that we always used to play on the side of the stage, but we never actually played it on record because it's like. But it, but it was a part of our soul. It was a part of who we are. And when we did air dance, I thought we were actually quite courageous doing that mm. um, because it's like it's not a necessarily, quote-unquote, a Black Sabbath song. But I don't give a damn about that because it is part of Black Sabbath. Mm. Um, it is a Black Sabbath song. Um, but because it was so light. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, it, and it's very sad and I thought Oz did an unbelievable vocal job on that on that track mm. but for, for for me as as a drummer it was absolutely delightful to play mm. I had a jet jazz uh, uh, little jazz Gretsch kit that I played on for that particular song mm. so just really nice mm. yeah I think on those on those last couple albums the um the breadth of what you what you guys were doing, it, like it was really opening up, you mm-hmm. know. The, the, there's so much variety. I mean, even something like it's all right, you know, mm, yeah. like you know, which <laughs> a lot, which you know, fit it fits in perfectly, even though it's so it, it, it's so different from the kind of signature Sabbath. Mm. Um, I guess I'm wondering, like, um, you know, okay, so so let's say like, like heaven and hell. You know the 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 feel. It seems to me like you know the the eight, sort of the eighties feel of you know rock or metal is so different from mm. like that sort of swing quality or mm-hmm. or blues swing jazz quality that's so evident in like the early Sabbath. It seems once you get to like Heaven and Hell, mm-hmm. it's a different feel. And like mm-hmm. like was there like in that in that in that period was that like was it hard to like adjust to this new kind of like rhythmic zone that that new like you know Neon Nights it, and things like that it, were. It was difficult because um, um, when it, I'm going to before I say anything, this is uh, I'm going to have to talk about Ronnie. Yeah. And when I talk about Ronnie, I'm talking about him in the most honourable way yeah. possible. So um, Ronnie's an American, and uh, so American players and singers sing him one. And in Black Sabbath, I've never done anything in one. Mm. Never. I don't even know what one is. You, you mean sort of like on the beat? It's on the beat. Yeah. Everything's on the beat. Right. So when we, when Ronnie began writing and putting things together, 
everything was on the beat. So I, I had to learn uh, to be on the beat and to be, you know, keep everything right there, and you know, which was not as exciting as, write, as writing in or not as exciting as uh, just coming up to a piece of music and going inside it and looking all around it. It just wasn't quite as exciting. It was, you know, because he's played on the one. So um, in saying that, uh, I absolutely admire um, all of all of my American friends, mm. either the, whether they're lead guitar players or bass players, drummers or vocalists, but they 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 have been, I guess, brought up correctly or trained properly or whatever you want to call whatever you want to say, and a lot of them play on on one, and that's just a fact. Mm. I have so many drummer friends in my life, even as we speak today. They're all on one. They're unbelievably good timekeepers. Mm. So it's just a little different for me. When I'm when I'm when I don't have to do that. When I'm not restricted to playing one, um, on the one, then I I, I like to move around. Mm. I, I just there's just something about that gives me a lot more freedom. Yeah, so suddenly I had to become like a drummer. Right. I had to become a drummer. Right. <laughs> so it's like, oh God, it's like fitting a new pair of pants. Yes, exactly. And it, and it, and it felt actually quite uncomfortable. Yeah. The, the, like some, something I forgot to ask, you know, before, like, you know, in terms of like the reference points, you talked about, you know, all your personal sort of jazz heroes and reference points. Like, yeah. and we know that, you know, I believe Tony was listening to like, that Django Reinhardt was an inspiration. Yes, he, yeah, he was, yeah. Like, Within the band, were you talking about jazz with Geezer and Tony? Oh yeah, yeah. We 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 um, like we we'd warm up with uh, like a jazz melody, mm. <laughs> you know. Before we went before the show, we go backstage for a sound check and we just play away, just just play away. And Tony would lead us down a road of some jazz licks and it's like you know like a jazz trio showed up or something you know it, is that like that song for jim i th- i forgot to mention that there's that sort of like early i think earth mm. track that it's kind of uh, yeah i'm not sure i'm not sure exactly where all that came from other than you know the big bear follies with jim simpson um but uh but yeah we uh, we playing with a lot of jazz guys all of that jim simpson uh thing that was going on um we, you know, again, one of our kind of lead drummer at the time was um, was the drummer I mentioned earlier from um, the Spencer Davis, yeah, uh, from Spencer Davis, and um, uh, Pete York, and uh, Bob Lamb, not nice, great rock and jazz player. He played with Locomotive. Um, uh, there's a lot of guys in there, man. That they were all they were all swinging and playing rock. You know, they were all we all we were we were all coming from rock and roll. We'd all been listening to the Shadows and the Ventures, Buddy Holly. So we were all coming out from that place. Mm, mm. And uh, so I sung for Jim. Yeah, it was it, it was a natural place to fall into, and we just it's like, you know, it's just like yep, 
just to that. Well, and, and that song is one of many like Rat Salad or something like that where like, you know, you're, you're taking this like sort of extended drum solo. Like I imagine, you know, that Krupa or someone would have been a strong inspiration in like one of these extended drum solos. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Gene, Gene to this day is still my, my hero. Mm. You know, as my, I, I, have, I have so many guys that I love, uh, that I love to see play and I watch and I love to get right in there and, and I, I, there's so much I, you know, I'm trying to learn, you know, um, I don't think as a drummer you, you, you arrive at a point where you know everything. I think when you do know everything, that's the time to maybe retire or something. So I feel like I'm a student and I like to be a student and uh, I, I love watching other drummers play and I get so excited if we're going to go out for a night and, you know, watch somebody like, uh, like Gene Hoagland or, yep. or um, Dave, Dave, you know. Uh, Dave Lombardo. Dave, yeah, Dave yeah. Lombardo. He's one of my favorite guys in the, in the world. Well, his playing in, ter- in like kind of that kind of '80s idiom, like he, he, it seems like he was able to bring kind of almost a swing to the oh, yeah. real up tempo. Dave can swing, yeah. Gene, Gene can swing. They, they, they've all got. They, they have some. Yeah, I mean, we just naming a few. It. I mean, there, there are some. I, I feel like I don't. I don't want to discount. Sure. And there's so many more guys that I listen to, and I and I absolutely love. I love what's going on with drums. I love what the what the guys are doing now with drums, and you know, it's just just the most incredible thing. So, so I like to be a student, and I like to sit down, and I like to see if I can <laughs> learn anything. It's like, what did you just do? <laughs> you know, so <laughs> it's, it's it's fun. Well, it it seems like you know, like like in the present, even like listening to some of this Day of Error stuff, like that. There, there's that that strong swing quality is still mm-hmm. in the the playing like that Very song so. dark i was listening to oh dark's totally swing yeah yeah totally like, like so it seems like you're almost i mean and 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 you know that drumming is very subtle and you know very behind the beat and very swinging like are you still like you know strongly tapping into all that stuff oh absolutely yeah. oh god yeah yeah and day of errors thanks for mentioning day of errors yeah. because because i miss so much uh my, the you know Black Sabbath. I, I miss the guys very much, and uh, Day of Errors uh, was designed because I had nowhere to go as a drummer. Yeah, and uh, so I built myself a new house and I called it Day of Errors, and now I have a house that I can live in where I can play drums again, and um, and I, you know, write all the songs and write all the music and everything. Um, Sometimes I write the music and it's like, and I and I and I laugh at myself because some of the stuff's really hard to play, d- drum wise. It's it's like I can write the song, then I thought, oh my god, I can't I can't play. It yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's <laughs> like, God, let's get somebody else. But uh, but I have to play it myself. I, I in Bay Veras, I have to play the drums in that. When we're doing, it's just switching around a little bit. When, when we have we have BWB as well. Right, it, right, right. right. BWB is a much more uh, slightly different band where we can do different things in. There's a little bit more musical. Day of Errors is very dark for me, and I like I like to keep it that way. Yep, yep. But BWB sometimes we will sing something that we can step out a little bit into other things, 
and in BWB, uh, I can I can have guest drummers come in, and uh, I don't have to, I don't have to be the drummer in BWB, which is great. I can I can write, be the producer, play keyboards or something mm-hmm, else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But um, thanks for mentioning Day of Errors. Oh, but yes, of because because it's given me my life back. It's I feel like I'm with a um, a, a hard rock band or a metal band, if you like. And uh, I love the macabre, I always have. And uh, so I can write uh, macabre things. And I've got a place for my drummer to be at home, just like I did back in the days of the, you know, the, the early, the late 60s and, and um, those wonderful days in the early 70s, you know. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I feel really fortunate to be able to have that. Well, you you were talking about the BWB. Like I, I've been spending a lot of time with those records, like the three the three albums um, uh, along the way, and um, mm. when the bow breaks and um, Cannibal Beast, and like that that music is like so like you were saying so eclectic, and you know it, it's 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 like metal is just one color on the palette with that stuff. There's so much, you know, mm. pop and all different kinds of stuff happening with that music. But like I was listening to, there's a song I think it's on the second record. It's called something like Nighthawks. Um, thousand points yeah right and like there was almost like this ballad thing and it, it was making me wonder and there's some saxophone in there yes. it was making me wonder if like jazz singing and jazz like that kind of jazz like ballad type of tradition is like informing that music not just as a drummer but like you know aesthetically mm-hmm. like is that stuff in there like like jazz vocal things like that or yeah i, I well i i love i love doing jazz vocals as yeah. well um but night talk stars and points i think is just a Great sax player too. Mm. Um, God, I'm blowing it. I forgot, I'd forgotten his name. That's terrible. Oh, we'll have to look well, on. Yeah, the well, no, we'll we'll add. Yeah, we'll, we'll add. have to look on the CD. Yeah. Um, but the, but uh, I love to be able to uh, do stuff like that. That was a great song to play, and um, it's just very solemn. It's, uh, I, I, you know, I, I, it's just it's just because I love jazz music. You know, um, so that's where that came from. It was mm. just me parroting or needing to do that song. Mm. I, like when we spoke that time, uh, you know, before about about some of your favorite metal records, like you know, something that really struck me, I think, really struck a lot of people was like your total like receptivity to you know like death metal and oh, sort of yeah, absolutely you know the kind of this like new tradition of like blast beats and things like that. It's so yes. interesting because like all those qualities we're talking about, this kind of like, you know, the, the swing and, and the kind of the space, you know, a lot of death metal is in a lot of ways pushing the total opposite extreme, you know, so what is it, you know, that attracts you, you know, I think, I think, you know, Crisian was one of the bands, Napalm Death, um, you know, I've heard you mention Cryptopsy, ton, ton, your, your, your knowledge is very vast, like what, what are some of the things that like attracts you to that as like somebody who comes out of something totally oh, different? I just love their, I love the urgency, I love the chaos, uh, I love the um, I love the dynamics. Um, it re- just reminds me of my heart when we were in Black Sabbath. You know, uh, we we had our we had our own we we had our own urgency, our own dynamics in Black Sabbath. We had our own violence and our own loud parts and our aggression. And uh, even though those dynamics have changed somewhat to say the least um 
I'm reminded uh, what I can hear in all those bands is their hearts. Mm-hmm. I can hear their hearts, mm-hmm. and I just I, I I I love them all. I fucking adore these people. You know, most of the time I'll just get a big hug and a big kiss, man, and that's how I feel about them. You know, uh, typo negative kept me alive for a while. Mm. You know, some of the things that they do, I I just I've just been absolutely blown away. You know. Um, great bands. That, that, there's a lot of metal bands that I, that I, I just love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. You, so you see like a total through line between from Sabbath to all that stuff. So, so ask me again. Like, like you see like a total straight line from Sabbath progressing up through all that stuff. Yeah, I can see. I can see. Um, I can see how that would be. You know, I I remember when I first met Metallica. And uh, first listened to Metallica, and I could see that you know that I can see a lot of the same things that we had built into Black Sabbath could have passed through. Yep. And um, you know, I've talked to a lot of the guys. I've talked to a lot of our metal friends and uh, a lot of metal drummers. You know, so I know where they are coming from and who and who they were listening to and everything else, you know. And those are private conversations, so I'll keep those private. Mm-hmm. But um but yeah, I think uh Black Sabbath helped to make some really good statements which were long lasting statements and I don't think uh I I didn't know whether our long our statements would be long lasting, but they have become generational and long-lasting and they've gone into and have cre- helped to create all the brilliant all the brilliance of what is today in metal music it just brings tears to my eyes to be honest can, can i ask you you know what what inspired the the recent statement online of you know i think i think you had said something that you would be open to to, to playing with sabbath again maybe in response to I, I mean, could you, could you could you tell me like what inspired that statement? Yeah, the, what inspired that statement was uh, my friend Terry, he's a butler, because um, there had been a couple of conversations in the press, which I had stayed away from, and then Giza said that he would be interested in uh, that, and I thought, well, okay, well if he's saying that, then you know I'm going to jump on that bank bandwagon. Because I've had an open mind about being with Black Sabbath now for several years, you know. Um, I uh, there's no question in my heart about how I feel about them, and I love them. I love them as men, and I love them as musicians. So, you know, I'm I'm very I'm very settled. I I have no I have no agenda. I have no, mm. you know. It's um, you know, we we're getting older. <laughs> we're getting older, so um, that's what inspired me to put that out. It's just like, well, Terry said that, and I think I'll just put my ten cents worth in the hat as well. So sure, I, yeah, um, I, you know, I'm open. I'm open-minded to to whatever might be available, if anything. You know, I kind of know that we there was some some of the things that are, that are private to them. So I, uh, but I, I won't discuss those things, obviously. So, 
But um, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, I don't want to. I, I don't know how we're doing on time. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't want to keep. Yeah, I, I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to speak about this. It's just been. Did you? What was going to be the next question? Fascinating. Oh no, I mean, I, you know, I, I kind of, yeah, really just wanted to bring it up to the present, like we just said, and just kind of ask you, you know, where that statement had come from. So that was very helpful in terms of like understanding where you're at with it all right now. Yeah. So yeah, I feel I'm fine. You know. Yeah. I love him. I got. I owe Tony a phone call. I got. <laughs> I. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. So, th- th- thank you so much again for for speaking to me today. No, really it's been great. Oh. Uh, it's been great. Excellent. Yeah, I, I'm sorry I was forgetting some of the names of people. Oh, uh, we'll we'll fill it all in online. It's no big deal. So, yeah, no big deal. Yeah, yeah. cool. Right, I well, really th- really enjoyed it. it. It takes me back down down um, back down the road, and uh, you know I'm going to be 72 next birthday. Yeah. So those years uh, in the 60s and the 50s are really precious to me. Yep. You know, and then all the outrageous years in the 70s. <laughs> you know, yeah. So thanks for talking about Diaveras. That was unexpected. Oh, of course. You know, yeah. I mean, I, you know. I'm sure all this Thanks so much for listening. Huge thanks to Bill for his time. And stay tuned for the next episode of the Heavy Metal Bebop Podcast coming soon. <laughs>